Attention passengers, today on Strangers on a Podcast, the strangers go back to the beginning. The beginning of the Coens, that is. It's 1984, and a movie that contains a cowboy, three bullets, and a love triangle. Join us, won't you? Welcome to the movie cigar here at Strangers on a Podcast. I'm the conductor, and with me is I'm Grimweed. Hello, Grimweed. Welcome. Hello. Well, we're called Strangers on a Podcast because we're two guys who don't know each other, and we're talking about movies to see how they bring people together. And just a couple of guys talking about some movies. Are we going to drive each other nuts? Are we going to curse and scream one another out? It's looked like it a few times. Well, maybe. I, I thought we'd get along. <laughs> Are we going to stay on topic? That, that it's never looked like that. Well, it would be boring if we did, maybe. Today, we are talking about the one and only Blood Simple. That's not that simple. It is a fairly complex film, yes. Came out in 1984, was written by Joel and Ethan Cohen. It was produced by Ethan Cohen and directed by Joel movie. Cohen. It was their first movie, yes. They got funding for it by making a, just like a little short film, a short trailer for this movie that they would like to get made. And they were even in the movie. They were in the movie? Yes, they were. Oh, those tricky, tricky Coens. And it was edited by Roderick Janes. Do you know who Roderick Janes is, Grimweed? Uh, it's the guy that edited this movie. No, uh, it's a, it's a did, pseudonym. Did you just say he was, he edited this movie? Yes, I did. But well, the thing, how is the that wrong? Well, Roderick Janes does not exist. He's a pseudonym. Oh, yeah, that's the, the pseudonym brothers. they use for um, the editor because of some kind of union thing or something. Mm -hmm. And at one point, I think it was made, was it for Fargo? But there was some movie that editor was up for an award and they're like, well, shit, if we win it, we're going to have Albert Finney go up and accept the award. Ha <laughs> ha. And I think they were going to have him accept it as Leo, if I remember, if I remember right. But that could just be my mind thinking that I hope he would accept it in that character. I'm guessing Roderick didn't win for Fargo. That year. No, and I can't remember if it was for sure Fargo. I just I know that movie was won a bunch and was up for more. But the music was by Carter Burwell, the uh, Coen Brothers' go-to composer, and it was shot by none other than Barry Sonnenfeld, who was their cinematographer in their first three films. He uh, went on to shoot Raising Arizona with them. And, and Miller's Crossing, Crossing, our last movie. Last movie we did. It stars John Getz, who I'd never seen in a movie before. Uh, had you ever seen him in anything else? Um, okay, here we go again. So my my whole problem with names things, it, it's going to come out a lot in this. So I'm going to just, I'm going to tell you the names right now. So the star of this movie is not John Ritter. No. And that's what I'm going to call him. He is not John Ritter. Because you look at him and you, he, I, I'm sorry. It's Dime Store John Ritter, so he's not John Ritter. And I, I think John Ritter in this role could have been amazing. Well, John that Ritter would have been tended to be fun to see a lot of things. Um, but yeah, so it's not John Ritter. Can you name three other movies he was in? Because I can. Famous movies. I know I've seen other movies he's been in. He was in The Social Network by David Fincher. He was in The Fly by David Cronenberg, and he was in Zodiac, which was also he by was Fincher. the asshole doctor boy ex boyfriend. No, not doctor. Um, editor or whatever ex-boyfriend dude in the fly right uh i i don't believe that was him no no if it was i i could be mistaken i don't but, know uh, i'm just trying to think of who else yes i think it was i think it yeah. was uh he was the one that got got his hand barfed on yeah who got um, barfed on and di partially digested by the uh brundle fly yeah okay um, well now we all know who john gets is but still it's not john ritter 
It is not John Ritter. There's, and at one point he, he'll be the monster. Another point he'll be Volkswagen cowboy. You and your wackadoodle nicknames that you just come up. Okay. Well, do you know who I'm talking about? No, I don't. You don't Um, know who the Volkswagen cowboy is? The Volkswagen cowboy. No. We were just talking about him. Before we started recording, you asked me if I knew what his name was. I, uh, uh, mm. hmm? uh-huh. I, I'm, well, apparently I'm getting early onset Alzheimer's. M- Emmett Walsh played the oh, Volkswagen M- cowboy. The Volkswagen cowboy. Yes. He okay. was dressed with, he had the cowboy hat. He would dress a cowboy and everything and drove the Volkswagen. He's the Volkswagen cowboy. It also stars Frances McDormand in her debut as Abby. Um, Frances McDormand has gone on to be one of the most treasured women in American cinema. And she's been in nine Cohen movies. And this is where she, this was her first time on a movie set and where she met her future husband. Really? Mm-hmm. Frances McDormand is um, a treasure we all appreciate, I think. Yes. Yeah. And she, um, she will most likely be Blue Eyes. She's won, I think, three Oscars. And I think one of them was Fargo. And you know who she was roommates with at the time of this filming? Um, No. Holly Hunter. Oh yeah. She, um, they actually had wanted Holly Hunter for this role, but she was busy and I think that's how she ended up getting this is because they were roommates and Holly Hunter is in this movie. She is sort of, well, well, part of her is part of her is, and And it's a recognizable part. Another amazing actress of her generation, Holly Hunter. We also have Dan Hedaya as Julian Marty, who is Nick Tortelli. A what? Nick Tortelli. Nick Tortelli. Yes. If you've ever watched Cheers, you will know oh, Nick he Tortelli. Was a, he, that he was, that was the first place I ever saw him was Cheers. And anything I've ever seen him since, he's always, to me, been Nick Tortelli. I Was he the guy who was going after Carla? Uh, kind of the sleazebag ex-husband that kept trying to get her back. Oh, that's that's what that's what his character was? Uh, yeah, they were married at one point. Okay. And then he was always trying to try and hit on her after they split up. He ended up, he, he had the... He came in with the dumb blonde, big boobed wife that he was always trying to show off to Carla. Genre fans uh, and art house aficionados will remember him from Mulholland Drive and uh, and a lot of the, other things that aren't Cheers. He was in Clueless. He was uh, Cher's dad in Clueless. He was in the Adams Family, the the first Adams Family movie with uh, Raul Julia and Angelica Houston. He's been in quite a bit. He yeah, he's he's just one of those guys who you see him everywhere. He was in Usual Suspects. That's what I just said. And he was in Clueless. I just said Clueless too. (laughs) Also as Sam Art Williams is Maurice, who I believe uh, has won several awards, but uh, also he's bartender guy, more prominent in theater. Not sure if he's had that many film roles and uh, bartender guy, bartender guy. Yeah, Cause the only other thing I could think of for him is probably not the best thing to say. Not OJ. I I was, I was going to think maybe four tops guy. No, it was going to be not OJ. Uh, Cause he just, he had that look like OJ in the first naked gun movie. Well, he, he wasn't stuck in a wheelchair or in a hospital bed through the whole thing. Well, no, but just like the, the haircut and everything, it was kind of like, there's not John Ritter. He was not OJ, but seeing how okay, so in OJ a way, is now, that's what I'm saying. He's bartender. So for guy. you in a way, this movie should have starred John Ritter as Ray, Fran- Holly Hunter as Abby. No, 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 and, no, 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 no. And, and OJ as Marty. I don't think Holly Hunter as Abby. I think Abby was perfect cast. But you, you would prefer John Ritter. I'm saying the guy they had as the star reminded me of John Ritter in a way. And every time I'd see him, I would think, wow, John Ritter in this role would be amazing to see. Well, John Ritter was a fine actor. Yes, he was. And 
look at him left us all too soon by and the way like the way he he was in buffy and just the way he went from all nice to just evil and, and he played a blink robot of an eye. buffy didn't he yes Yes, and uh, and uh, you may remember him as a as the shop owner in Sling Blade, where he he showed some amazing or Jack Tripper in Three's Company. Everyone remembers him in Three's Company. But still, I mean, he had a pretty decent range, and it's not something that you would necessarily expect from somebody coming from something like Three's Company. But yeah, I'm not saying that that it should have been that. I'm just saying that that's every time I see him, it's like, yeah, he reminds me of John Ritter. And then I would think John Ritter would have been good in this role. Is there any... Is there anyone else you would have had cast as the Volkswagen cowboy? Um, I could think of people that could have been interesting in that role, but I think he was fine. I don't, th- I don't have any complaints about his casting. I, I'm, I don't really have any complaints about any of the casting. All right, then. It's just to make it easier for my brain to get through this without having to try and remember names, I'm letting you know that's who these people are. Well, it was M. Emmett Walsh as the private detective who goes unnamed throughout the entire film. But, unless you have uh, subtitles name, on. Unless you have subtitles on, or if you are, are familiar, I, I think uh, he's list, his full, his name is listed in the screenplay and you get a hint at it based yes, on- Yes, his, uh, his name is listed in the script. I've read that. Yes, and uh, you get a hint at what his name is based on uh, a peek at his lighter, which has his name engraved on it. It's uh, Lauren, L-O-R-E-N, which uh, I didn't know was an, a man's name. Yeah, except for that's different than what he's called in everything else. Well, it's, I'm going to refer to him as the private detective because that is his name in the credits. Yeah, it's, and I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's spelled V-I-S-S-E-R for the subtitles. I I would guess it's just Visser. Yeah, I don't know if it's Visser, if it's Viser, or I don't know. Lauren Visser. Uh, that's probably the name. That's I'm possible. trying to say it with a Texas accent. Lauren uh, Visser. Who knows? Anyway, um, but yeah, so like I said, that's that's Volkswagen Cowboy or The Monster. The Monster? Yes, and there is a reason for that. We will get to it. What did you think of the movie, Grimley, overall? You've seen it how many times? Um, Surprisingly a lot for the short amount of time I've known about this movie. I really know. Okay, uh, how long have you known about it? I mean, I've heard of it for many years. Yeah, I mean, the movie's not new, and I didn't even know about it until recently. Um, so what happened was the whole connecting movie thing mm-hmm. that wasn't intended. Uh, it just kind of happened when you threw the curveball at me for, um, we have something special planned for the May season. Uh-huh. And I about shit my pants because we had only ever talked about doing May in May. Indeed. And all of a sudden it's like, crap, now there's something planned for a season. Holy shit. That means I have to have more than just one movie. I spoke, uh, I, I, I spoke sort of headstrongly there. I, 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 I misspoke, one could say. I, I didn't mean to set you up for a Oh, yeah, I, I realized that. It's just, then it became, crap, now how can I connect May to anything else? And so, it, it, so it's like something special. So then that became, well, here we go. Now here's another movie with an Angela. Great, we can do that. Oh, wait a minute. No, because there's Mother's Day. We should do something that has some kind of a mother theme. Oh, now there's this cool one that we can do that has an Angela. And it just kind of fell together that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it became, well, to make it something special and to move on, we really should connect this to what we move to next. And that became, well, here's this Ralph's connection that brought us into Big Lebowski. But since we're mainly like horror and sci-fi fans, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a good comedy. Hell, I'll even watch a good musical if it's a good musical. It takes something to get me to watch a musical for the most part. 
Um, but yeah, then it's like, okay, well, what, what can I use once I get to Ralph's that's big Lebowski, but how do I get back to horror? So I tried to figure out some way to get back to horror to where it seemed like, okay, this is the something special we had planned and okay, well, here's a Coen brothers movie that is supposed to be the closest they get to doing a horror movie. So it's like, well, okay, that doesn't sound too bad. So watch that. And it's like, okay, yeah, now I can, as far as connections, I can connect this movie all the way back to the first one. And then I started connecting everything in between. And since then I've had to watch this movie probably another seven or eight times just to try and make those connections. So to answer your question, I'd say I've probably watched it about 10 times in the last month. That's a lot. Yeah. And I've only known it about, I've only known about it for probably about that long. For a month? Yeah, I don't know exactly when I first mentioned this movie to you, but when I mentioned it to you, that was when I had first learned about it. And I think it was only maybe a month, month and a half ago. I've known about Blood Simple for quite a long time. I'd never actually seen it uh, until very recently when we decided to cover it. And I I think I've, I've only watched it twice uh, since I since we made the decision to uh, do an episode about it. No, when you watched it, what? How did you watch it on uh, Amazon Prime? Okay, what they were showing was that the Criterion version. Indeed, it was. Okay, I was wondering about that because I know certain movies like HBO. When you watch it on there, it's the Criterion version, but certain services might not be that that version of it. And that version is different. Is it because uh, it's shorter? It's the director's cut. Um. Well, they there's there's a spot where he's driving up towards the incinerator. And alongside, there's a track that they had built for the camera and everything so they could follow that shot. Well, in the Criterion collection, or in the Criterion version, they were able to go back in and digitally erase that track. And then there's there's another spot when he's out in the field, and I guess there was a light or something they were able to go in and remove. There was something out in that field. I don't know if it was a light or a sign or whatever, but there's been things they've been able to go back and clean up specifically for the Criterion version. Are you saying the Coen brothers do a George Lucas and go back and like change their movies? I don't know if it was necessarily a Coen decision or if it, like who decided it could have been all three of them, but there's, and we had talked about this before about commentaries for the different movies. And I said, I've not found a Coen commentary. That's not entirely true. There is one for Blood Simple. I've not seen them listed as commentaries. They're more listed as interviews, but it's Sonnenfeld and the Coens. And they're basically sitting there watching the movie but it's more like you're you're just talking, watching them talk, and they have the the movie on a laptop or or a tablet or something, watching it on there, and it cuts to the movie so you can see what they're talking about at times, and they they'll even circle things. And it's like, oh yeah, so this is what we're talking about here, or they'll draw out a path, and it's like, oh, you can see this where this lighting went, or you can see, oh, you can see this wasn't our first tr- take because here's where we tried to rake the dirt out to make it look like we hadn't been there before. Oh, haha. So it, it it is quite enlightening on just the troubles they they went through to get the lighting right and how this movie doesn't make sense if you look at it as far as the lighting, but 
why it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because of the lighting. But like uh, when Ray's out in the tilled field, there's so much lighting around him. Well, yeah, in that in that instance, the lighting, if you look at the long shot when you see him with his car in the background and the light that you're supposed to be getting is from the headlights, if mm-hmm. you actually look, the light is coming from the other direction. Ah. Essentially what it is with this movie, they weren't, worried about does this necessarily make sense they were looking at it for the shot how does it look in the shot if it looks okay in the shot okay rule of cool yeah and, and there's the scene when he's walking up to the office and you see the dust pop up from the floor and everything and the light that's there well you open the door and the room's dark that light hmm. wouldn't make sense but it also yeah. didn't help the shot did you think the movie was funny um i, I had some comedic moments uh, but uh, I wouldn't say it was necessarily funny. I mean, Miller's Crossing also, I wouldn't say is a funny movie. It had comedic elements, but it wasn't really a funny movie. No, that's the thing. I, I, I kind of found the entire sequence of Ray trying to get rid of the evidence is, is like kind of hilarious. I don't know if I would say funny. I would say it's, um, it's not the kind of funny that I would say, yeah, this is a funny movie. Like, like I yeah. said, there's some comedic elements, but I wouldn't say funny. I mean, supposedly, I mean, I found reviews that say it's supposedly, it's like full of dark humor. Oh, I yeah. Mean, it's, it struck me as it struck playing pretty straight. Yeah. And one of the things that Frances McDormand has said, she said it in an interview about Fargo, mm-hmm. but she, the impression I got, she was kind of directing it more towards just the Cohen movies themselves. Mm-hmm. The way they make movies, they're they're not making, they're just not going and making shit up. This is all true. The, yeah. the reason the Coen Brothers movies work is because they're true. The characters are true to character. It's true to life. This is, throw a person in a situation, this is the kind of shit you get. It's right. not just some bonkers thing that that, was, that would never happen. This is, it's true. It's, Whether it's an actual factual, this thing exactly happened this way, doesn't matter. It's, it, this is true people. The Coen's right with a, with a harsh sense of internal logic, uh, as the cause and effect of what their characters do and why they, they don't, uh, they, they don't ever manipulate their characters into doing things that are ridiculous for the sake of ridiculous that you, I don't think you would ever have a Coen movie where a character like, uh, in a slasher movie where they, where they run up the stairs and can't get away because now they're trapped upstairs. Uh, that that's not the kind of thing a Coen protagonist is going to make a, it's not a mistake. Well, there would have to be a reason for it. It would have to be a very, there would have to be some kind of a logical reason why they went upstairs. Like maybe there's a gun upstairs. Yeah. I mean, there's, there has to be something. It's not just, oh no, let's now go upstairs. I, I feel like I'm going to mention Texas Chainsaw Massacre a lot in this uh, episode because I just got a lot of Texas Chainsaw vibes off this movie. Because it was kind of out in the middle of nowhere? Well, there's that, but also there's a few there's a few specific things uh, about it that reminded me of Chainsaw. There's a couple uh, of things that reminded me of Evil Dead, specifically oh, the Evil Dead shot in the front yard. Like one thing we're talking about, the humor of the movie, and uh, supposedly Texas Chainsaw Massacre is full of dark humor too, but I yes, don't know. Yes, I rarely laugh when watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I didn't laugh much watching this. Yeah, exactly. There, it's it's got comedic elements, but it's not a funny movie. Yeah, but according to Toby Hooper uh, and Kim Hinkle, who wrote Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they were laughing their ass off writing the script. Well, it's different when you're writing it than when you're seeing it. I mean, look how no, many people look how many people get up on stage and tell jokes and think it's the funniest thing ever because they laughed hard when they they wrote it, but nobody laughs. Yes, every comedian's worst nightmare. Yeah, I mean, look at Pluto Nash. 
like I said, I didn't see the comedy much. I mean, Emmett Walsh is this demented Texas good old boy. He kind of just wasn't that funny to me. Okay. The joke he tells in his car. Oh, about, uh, about his, uh, what was, what was the punchline? Uh, your wife's really got to love you, I think. Or was that a different story? Oh no, that's the story. But what was the punchline? That's true love. Uh-huh. Okay. So the joke. When she's got to wipe your ass for you. Yeah. The, the story was a friend of his broke his hand and then shortly after had fell protected his busted hand that was in a cast with his good hand and in the process broke his other hand. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. so he told a guy, your wife better love you because for the next five weeks, you can't even wipe your own ass. That's what the script says. What he says does not sound like that at all. So I turned on the captions just to make sure, am I mishearing this? And the captions say, you can't wipe your own hat. And I can understand if you listen to him when he's saying it, it does not sound like he's saying ass. You know that's what the line is. But the way he says it doesn't sound like ass. And I think the captions were going by what he was saying rather than what the script was. So what did he say, ass or hat? The script was ass. I'm not sure which he said. But the caption says hat. Mm. That's how I ended up reading the script for this is because I heard that line and it's like, well, wait a minute. I could have sworn he said ass. And I rewound it and it's like, well, wait, no, that that's not ass. And then turn the caption on and it's like, okay, now I got to find the script. Because right, now I'm wondering if it's a Texas colloquialism for ass is hat. Well, I, I looked it up. Sit on your hat, pal. Well, I looked up the 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 line to begin with just figure trying to figure did i mishear it or is it some kind of a saying or is there some kind of something there other than maybe mishearing or wrong captions and nothing showed up at all about that so then i found the script and i found that spot in the script and knowing that the cohen brothers movies every single thing i've ever found has said that the characters or all the actors pretty much always stick word for word to the script to the point to where even in Fargo, there was a point where when when the, the guy's looking for the pancakes house, he thought it was a typo. And when he says it, next thing you know, he's like, wait, what, what were you saying? And he's like, the pan, uh, where's the pancake house? And he's like, that's not what the script says. He's like, oh, I thought it was a typo. There, no, there's no typos in the script. According to the quote on IMDb is, I hope your wife really loves you because for the next five weeks, you can't even wipe your own goddamn ass. Yeah, that's, that. like I said, that's the quote. That's the test. And that's, that's, that's you that's know what he's supposed to be saying, but it doesn't quite come out as ass, but it's like, okay, it could just be like the, the accent that he's using, the way he's talking doesn't quite sound like it. So I turned the caption on and the caption said hat. And I was just, what the hell does that mean? Maybe that's a Texas colloquialism. Sit on your hat. Maybe asses, ass Why, and hat are in Yeah, but he's talking about wiping it. Wiping hat. Like I said, it, the only thing I could think of is they, they were going by what they were hearing. I, it would make sense that cowboys would, you know, when they're working with cattle, they would maybe get feces or shit, as it is called, sprayed on their hats, and they would have to wipe their hat off. I don't know. I'm making this up. Okay? Yeah, I, I think no you're idea. going a little too far. I, I when I'm know. happy with, they just misdid the captions. Captions, probably. We need a Texan to clear this up and say, ain't nobody ever called their damn ass their hat. And I'd be like, okay, well, now we know. Who the hell thought of that? I did. Well, you're a fucking idiot. That'll be, that'll be my conversation with a Texas cowboy asking him the question about this movie. What the hell damn movie is this? And say it's blood simple. Oh, by the Coens? Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. So anyway. Well, I. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. I just think it was a, one of those weird spots in, in the subtitles that they just screwed up it's not uncommon for there to be errors in subtitles 
I think when I think when people describe the movie as a comedy, what they're really talking about is that it's kind of a farce because of all the misunderstandings and that go on throughout the film. Possibly. Well, because I mean, it, there's at one point a character is convinced another character has killed somebody, and they immediately go into hide the evidence mode. So basically, what the movie is is it, it opens up with two people in a Fiat. Okay, they're supposed to be driving in the rain, aren't they? Yeah. So what it was, they were sitting in a Fiat with someone sitting on the roof, sprinkling with the sprinkler spraying water on the windshield in a garage, and someone would run by the, with a light on, turn the light off, and go and run by again, so it looked like they were driving down the street at night in the rain well it worked it tricked me and then they get out of the car at one point and now it's um i want to say it's a volvo and then they show a longer shot and it's an oldsmobile so in the first few minutes of this movie he's got three different cars that's just that's called guerrilla filmmaking they needed them to sit closer together so they chose a fiat and then they needed this and but anyway so it opens up with two people in a car driving in the rain not a whole lot of conversation she's the first line there was we plenty get. of conversation what are you talking about well, well it's because i like you yeah i mean there's conversation nice. but it's not a very that. wordy conversation well it's, it's but it's the first line really gives you an idea of what you're dealing with you mean the narration and that's i was worried about if you were going to figure that as a first line or not the first spoken line that we have from a character that's not a narrator ah. but yeah it really kind of gives you the the idea of what you're dealing with as far as character wise the first line is gave me a little pearl handled 38 for our first anniversary uh-huh i figured i'd better leave before i use it on him i just don't know how you can stand him well i'm an employee i ain't married to him Exactly. And that's, and that's how the movie learned, opens and tells you everything you need to know. It's about these, and like she's leaving her husband and, uh, and he's driving her to where she needs to go. And the husband, his idea of an anniversary present, a first anniversary present, it's a pearl handled 38. And he's the kind of person that would make you want to use it on him. He sounds like a real card. So yeah, we get that. We've figured out what's going on and he tells her that he likes her. Yeah, he tells her he likes her, and our our happy couple who has just uh, confessed their attraction to one another, they wind up in a uh, a motel room for the night. But yeah. uh, in in the meantime, they don't realize they're stalked by a a VW little uh, bug, and uh, they as they're driving down the road, she yells at him to to stop the car. He slams on the brakes. There's a Volkswagen behind him that also stops. And he's like, do you recognize a car? And she says, no. And as it drives by, you see a guy in a cowboy hat in this, in this bug that drives by. There is our Volkswagen cowboy. Yep. And uh, they go inside the motel room. We have a very brief uh, scene of them enjoying one another naked in the bed. And we, we are not blessed with any young Francis McDormand nudity that's explicit or, uh, or graphic or anything like that. Because I checked. Did you check? Yes, you did. You know you did. Oh, I thought it was so blatant that it wasn't going to be shown by the way they lit everything and the way the covers were that there wasn't any point in even checking. Yeah, it was. Um, but yeah, brief. it was a quick, just a quick love scene, and then doesn't it and goes from there to I believe the to morning. the bar. Well, what basically what the movie is, you have a pretty straight faced straightforward adultery and murder thriller that gets turned on its head and pulled sideways. And yeah, you have. M. Emmett Walsh is the private detective, or Lauren Visser, according to the script, and his lighter, 
as this ultimate amoral sleazebag, anything for hire bastard. Or as I like to call him, Volkswagen Cowboy. Volkswagen Cowboy. Maybe maybe he, uh, well, he's a private detective. He wants a car that's nondescript so he can tell people. Yeah, so you, you get one that everybody's always looking out for because, you know, how many people are looking out for punch bugs and one that's that not known to be the quietest thing. You get, get a loud car that people look out for. Well, maybe it's a hide in plain sight kind of thing. But anyway. Or it's just a very awkward. It's a very awkward choice for a car, and so, this is the not. This is not the only movie where we see in the in the Cohen's oeuvre or oeuvre. You really like that word, don't you? I do. You use it a lot, and yet you don't know what it is. It no, it means body of work. Well, you know what it means, but you don't know how to say it. I don't. I really need to look that up. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to use a word, you should know how to say it. I should. But yeah, we find out that he is a private detective that has been hired by Nick Tortelli to follow his wife around to find out who she's been sleeping with. And it's not Nick Tortelli. His name is Julian Marty. Then he f he's handed pictures and he's pissed that the guy took the pictures. Because, yes, well, you told me where they were. Why'd you take the pictures? I figure it's a, a little bonus or something that he said. Or fringe benefit. Courtesy or I don't know what he, I don't remember what he was saying, but basically it was, it came across like he took pleasure in it. Now let's not spoil the movie for them, Grim. Um, We've done that far too many times. Well, we're trying to add some context to what we're talking about. Well, all right. What, well, how far are we going on the context? Um, Just the general idea of the movie. So okay. we find out that he's been hired by Nick Dortelli to follow his, his wife, blue eyes, find out who she's been with, been with. And now he sees in the picture that it's his employee, not John Ritter. Ray, Marty, Abby, and Ray, but okay. And what does it say? <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to drive you nuts with this one. And did you um, know, do you know what it says on uh, the detective's lighter besides his name? Wasn't it like something of the year? Elks man of the year. Yeah. And it was some kind of man of the year. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyway, so he's got this fancy silver lighter that he uses. It's gold to me. Oh, it's a fancy silver lighter. Okay. Um, with, with engraved yes. stuff on and it. And a fancy engraved silver lighter. A Zippo lighter. Yes. Which um, might be a reference to strangers on a train. You're really trying to ruin all my connections here before I even get to any of that, aren't you? I, 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 <laughs> no, I was just calling the lighter You're trying out. to let all my secrets out. I'm not letting any secrets out. You ain't telling me none of your secrets. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to have to tell him if you keep spoiling him. <laughs> I'm the conductor. I'm supposed to know some things. You got to you got to conduct something. Um, yeah, darn. Nugget. So anyway, so we find out that he's been hired, and Vol Volkswagen Cowboys wanting to have more of a relationship with Nick Tortelli business wise, and he's like, "Get the fuck out of here." Yeah, and he says like uh, the Greeks would cut off the heads of messengers who yeah. uh, who brought bad news. Like, well, there's laws against that in this state, pal. Yeah. Um, so, so he, he essentially, he kicks him out and n not John Ritter and, and Nick Tortelli have a conversation. That's Ray and, um, uh, Marty find no. out they don't want to have anything to do with each other. And Nick Tortelli says, you know what? I don't give a fuck. I'm pissed off. I'm gonna come in and try and kill you going for her first. And that might've been his only plan. I don't know. Cause that's as far as it went. It didn't yeah, go right. So now finger. he goes and hires Volkswagen Cowboy to kill Blue Eyes and not John Ritter. Ray and Abby. And he hired Marty hires the detective to murder Abby and Ray. Um, Isn't that what I said? In in a roundabout way, yes. <laughs> I, I just felt like translating it for our viewers who aren't keeping track of your of your uh, and our listeners nicknames. What? And our listeners. That's what, that's what I meant. It's our, our listeners. Our, we, we love our listeners. Thank you for listening. Yes. And we love our viewers, even though yeah. our viewers are just the people on 
on Facebook that just really only listen to us anyway. Yes. <laughs> or not on exactly. Facebook, sorry, on YouTube. Our, you our viewers are, the, are on YouTube listening to us instead of watching us. Well, I, I just don't think we're camera ready yet, Grim. I'm sorry. I just, uh, I, I don't know if we're. Well, no, because again, we need all these likes, subscribes, comments, shares, tell people about us, favorite, all that kind of stuff. So we can get people to say, hey, maybe we'll give them some support and sponsors and, and all that good stuff so we can buy better equipment so we can actually use I don't know, better sounding mics and better cameras. But anyway, um, but anyway so yeah, that's it, basically the plot. It's, that's kind of what it is. And things and go wrong goes because sideways. Coen Brothers movies are famous for high ambition crime with inept criminals. Yes, they are. Uh, most famously, I think Fargo was uh, probably one of the prime examples of that. Big Lebowski. Uh, William H. Macy's character. Um, uh, Miller's Crossing, kind of, in a way. I thought you had some pretty ept criminals in that movie. Except for Bernie. Uh, Bernie knew what he was doing. The, to an extent, and then he got a little bit too big for his britches. Well, that's just playing the game. Yeah, he wasn't ready to play that game. He went further than he was ready for. So he had he had ambitions he wasn't, well, I, I think he, he wasn't ready I for. Think he, and I think he underestimated the enemies he made. Meaning he wasn't ready for it. Well, that's... So, yeah... In Cohen movies, it's uh, that's a, a standard. You give Bernie an angle, he plays it. That's just how he is. You got to do what you got to do. But anyway, that's a whole it's other prohibition. Movie. It's it's not Chinatown. There wasn't any Chinatown in Miller's Crossing. It was all gang. It was all Irish and Italians. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, Chinatown. Uh, no, you, there's the famous line: "It's Chinatown." Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Yeah, I, and I, that I, ain't I that movie. Say, <laughs> I was. You hate that movie? No, I said that ain't that movie. Yeah, I know. I was I was going to say it's Chinatown for Bernie, but uh, that that really doesn't apply. Uh, uh-uh, not at all. But um, so yeah, like I said, that that basically that's a plot, and the rest of it is just how it unfolds in odd ways. You get some misunderstandings. You get some double crossings. You get some live burials. You get a live burial. Yeah, which that was Joel and Ethan Cohen. It was? At one point, yes. From the point when you could no longer see Nick Tortelli's face, that was Ethan underground, and it was Joel's legs in the jeans. Ah. Well, that'll make me want to watch that scene again. And there's there's an interesting story on that, too. Apparently, they they were in Barry Sonnenfeld's backyard when they did it, and it was basically just the three of them to film that part. They had, like, when the ground was moving, they, they were like, okay, well, now we need a shot of it not moving. So they kept trying to tell him to be still. And he's like, what I, what, what do you need? So they ended up clearing a little spot so they could see him. And it's like, we just need it to be still. And he says, well, if it has to be still, do I still have to be in here? And, and Barry's like, you know, me being me, I'd be like, yeah, just be still for a moment. But Joel being the softy that he is, it's like, well, I guess not. So they had to take the time to dig all the dirt up and get him out and then put all the dirt back and get the mound right again so they can film another shot of just still dirt. Well, you don't want to bury someone alive and have them die on accident. So, I mean, they were cautious. I can't really, I can't blame them there. Oh yeah. And I can't blame him for wanting to be out and everything. It's just, I thought it was interesting that he's like, well, if it has to be still, do I have to be in here? (laughs) And one of them's like, yeah, just be still for a minute so we can get the shot. Then we'll get you out of there. Yes, shut up and just lay there. Okay. That didn't work. No, not quite. Um, yeah, they, so they tell him to be still. Yeah, that's what I would have said. Just be still. Just be still. But instead, yeah, they, still. they took We're the time throw this and, dirt on you. and dug them all up. It's uh, 
Well, I did not know that. That's some fun trivia. Yeah, that's that's part of um, the interview commentary thing that was that was on that. We had they had talked about that. I think there's something kind of mean spirited about Blood Simple. It, it's a very dark movie, like uh, kind of like the way Pasolini's Sallow or maybe uh, Fulci's New York Ripper is dark. It's it. There's not a lot of uh, there's not many happy endings for the characters in it. No, and that that's a very interesting comparison. I don't know if I would have gone there but I, okay you got this texas good old boy and girl characters are all they, you kind of get the i, I kind of get this feeling like they were all sort of naive and aw shucks in a lot of ways like the characters aren't in the on the joke of what's going on for them like in a sense like uh well, maybe joel nobody Cohen, really talked much to each other except for well blue eyes has a lot of personality so she was the healthiest she, person she, a psychiatrist had ever met Exactly. So she did talk quite a bit at points, but it wasn't really like people were saying what was going on. And there was a lot of things going on that it's like, okay, if you just said something, then this all could have been avoided. Yes, it all could have been avoided. And that's another thing I think the Coens don't do is they don't do characters explaining the situation to the viewer, really. What I mean, they kind of did it in Big Lebowski where Lebowski solves the mystery a little bit. Oh, you mean how things kind of just end ambiguously? Like what's going to happen? A little bit. Well, I mean, there are like Fargo had the whole money MacGuffin thing, but yeah, they, they have a tendency of, like I said, the, the million dollar MacGuffin. Did the dude ever get his rug back? What happened with the big Lebowski? Did he get arrested? What happened with all that money that from there? I mean, there's another million dollar MacGuffin in big Lebowski. So they have a lot of just ambiguous things. I mean, they do kind of wrap some things up. I think they wrap up the, the arcs for the characters. Really, like uh, Margie and Fargo, um, she proves herself to be a, a very able detective uh, throughout the film. Yes, she does and, a very uh, good job. Yes, um, also played by Frances McDormand in one of, I think that was one of her big... Uh, yeah, she ended up winning an Oscar for that. She won an Oscar for that, and I think that uh, put her into the mainstream a lot more. Yeah, and when she won the speech she gave, she said she ha she specifically had things she wanted to say, and it was basically all about how the... Cohen's aren't low budget movie makers because they can't do good movies. It's by choice because huh. they have had complete creative control over their work. And that means that they have to get lower budgets. That's right. the only way they can do it. So they, they sacrifice the budget in order to have control in order to put out the story that they want to put out. I think they had a bit of a higher budget with Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, but I could be wrong. Yeah, they had a pretty big budget with that one, but the soundtrack, I think, if it wasn't for the soundtrack, the movie probably would have done a lot worse because the soundtrack skyrocketed and really helped ticket sales. Helped create the bluegrass movement we have today. We're um, still dealing with that. Hey, I like the music in that, so... Yes, the music in the Oh Brother Where Art Thou movie is fine, but I, and I, I like bluegrass. So, but I, I I don't care for of monsters and men, and they're a bluegrass group, and it's like I have to now I have to listen to them and the Lumineers on the radio thanks to Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Change stations. I do. Well, then you don't gotta listen to them. And then I change the station. And it's just Pink Floyd. I've heard a million times, and I'm just like, ah, darn it! Why didn't I put my phone on? Well, that sounds like a you problem. It is a me problem. And it also sounds like we're talking about something that's way off your favorite word. Topic. <laughs> One of the things I didn't, that sort of struck me as, is sort of hilarious in the movie. And even though, like I, I've said several times, I didn't really get a lot of comedy out of the film was when she is 
when Abby, or Blue Eyes, as you call her, is hanging out with Ray, not John You realize Ritter, you why call I call her that, though, right? Because she has blue eyes? Well, yes, but there's many scenes in this movie where she is lit that just makes her eye, and she has a just gorgeous, deep blue eyes, and they're lit to where it just makes them pop. And looking at this movie, I I can see why making that movie and watching her every day, I'd want to marry her too. Ah, well, um, you know, Barbara Crampton, uh, the Scream Queen, went on to marry the cameraman that was um, filming her in Reanimator, I think. Well, and then we also have Night of the Demons with Linnea, Qu Linnea Quigley marrying the makeup guy uh -huh. who first met her when he had to take a chest mold of her uh when he had to slather stuff on her tits. Yeah. That was love at first grope. Love at first makeup check. Now, there's a scene where Abby is is hanging out with Ray, and she goes, you know, Marty's anal. And uh, and Ray's just like, you don't say. And, yeah, it's and, very just like, oh, you don't say. Yeah, you don't say. But but she makes this such a big deal about, like, what the fuck do Abby and Ray think anal means? I and mean, what is so damning about being anal? I and mean, does Marty, is, just because, like, Marty has OCD or something? Well, I think part of that was they're kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Well, I can't say out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, there, there are no major metropolitan centers in Texas. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like there was they were in the middle of like Houston or anything. It, there was they were kind of out there. And in comparison to that versus say California at that time, things like somebody saying they're anal and talking about like a mental thing, and possibly even just because of how okay i know him that doesn't sound right for him but i could see how that could be an issue where california is like people got so many issues out here that okay yeah you know we've known that one what's new yeah but uh, and that's another thing i i feel like the cohen's um well I'm, it's it's like with raising arizona in their next movie they they kind of found their comedic voice a lot more okay and well, in this they, yes and well, no. hold on, hold and on, raising hold on. arizona as a comedy that they've not really done again. That was more like a, um, I, I would argue that comic after was a comedy. comic. It was more like a cartoony comic book-ish kind of comedy. I would argue that Burn After Reading is a, is a nice companion piece to Raising Arizona. Possibly. I have not seen that one yet. I do know that is the one that took inspiration from the guy that built one of the rigs in this movie. Really? Yes. So there's a scene when Blue Eyes is standing in the bar and she's okay. kind of putting things together in her head. And it goes from this long one cut, just looking at her as she falls back into bed and just kind of turns her head. And it's a it's one shot. And they made this rig. So as she would fall back, the bed would come up to her. Mm -hmm. So that way they didn't have to, cause this was, it's, this is before CG and all that other shit. And they didn't mm -hmm. want to have any cuts to try and pull that effect off. It was a neat effect. So the, the way they did it was to have that, the rig. So it would do that. And to do that cost quite a bit. And there's a, one of the, the guy that ended up building it for them told them this, this story about, he saw this, um, this chair thing or swing thing, but basically he saw like a sex swing chair in the back of Hustler magazine. And it was like $200 or some shit. And he's like, I can make that myself for a few bucks. So he made one of those for his wife and then was telling them this story about making all that. And he kind of showed him pictures and they're like, that's kind of like the rig we need for this. So 
can you build that for us? So they go, oh, yeah, sure, no problem. And they ended up, I, I can't remember what movie it might've been, Burn After Reading, but they ended up using that rig again in another one of their movies. But the idea of him just building sex toys in his basement is what inspired that character. Oh, and uh, the character in Burn After Reading. I believe is the movie. Because that's George, the one where he George makes sex Clooney toys in his basement, right? With Francis McDormand, yeah. Yeah, so that's that was the inspiration for that, was the guy that built the rig for her to fall into bed. Well, look, I, I was just going to say, um, with the Raising Arizona, I feel like when you watch Raising Arizona, there's kind of an affection for the characters in uh, the fact that they're rural Southwestern characters and with their idiosyncrasies and quirks. But you feel like the, the, the directors, the writers are on the side of Nick Cage and Holly Hunter in that movie. Like uh, they, they aren't judging them. In this movie, I feel like the characters are being judged in a sense. I, 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 I didn't get the feeling they were being judged. And looking at any of the movies, I don't think any of them ever come off like they're being judged other than judged by the individual characters in the movies. I, I never just, get I, the impression that the movie is leaning one way or the other to try and fall on the side of one person or the other. I think for the most part, they leave it more up to the audience to figure out who do you root for. Well, there are some very morally ambiguous characters in the Coen's films. For me, I just didn't get any any feeling of uh, like these characters were... With like with Raising Arizona and Fargo, you you get more of a feeling that these are whole characters that were written with a kind of breath of life. Whereas with these characters in Blood Simple, maybe the Coens hadn't quite gotten the, the hadn't quite finessed their style to the point where yeah, the I characters mean, it was really their pop off movie. the page as much. It was their first movie, yes. But I feel like um, I feel like the Coens had a bit of a mean spirited streak in them when they were making this writing these characters and uh, well, at sort the of time portraying too, them as dumb yokels. At the time, too, that was, like I said, it was their first movie. And Joel had just, well, not just, but Joel had been working with Sam Raimi to edit Evil Dead. Mm -hmm. So he picked up a lot from from Sam in the making of Evil Dead. Um, so, Yes, I think uh, Sam taught him how to finance a film from just uh, taking like a short film around to show us like yeah. a preview of what the directors can do. Yeah. And they even said that, yeah, that's a little trick we, we learned from Sam. Um, but that's how they got their first film. Right? And, and, and the shot when, when she shows up or when he shows up and drags her outside and the camera just flies into, into their faces, you can't look at that shot and not see a Raimi influence and then listen to them talk. And they say, yeah, basically it was a, a camera on a board and we ran up on Raimi's uh, shaky cam. Yeah, that's what they call it, the shaky cam. Um, yeah, it's the poor man steady cam. Yeah. Um, so, and they even admit that a lot of what they got for that was influenced from him. And I, I can see how having that darker look and, and, the the influence from, from Sam Raimi and it being their first movie, not having as fleshed out characters and stories as the later movies would end up be having. All right then. So we're in somewhat agreement. Yeah. And I, I think though that you don't really need more of a character with, with these. No, I, I think the plot takes. Um, it's a simple enough story. Stage. You don't need much background. Simple story, my ass. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's a simple story that has a it has a lot of weird twists and turns, but it's not like you need a lot of character background to 
to understand what's going on. No, Coens are not ones to waste time on, you know, uh, I don't think there's ever been a Cohen movie where you see like what the protagonist was like in childhood. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm trying to think, um, you get some in, in Oh Brother, you get some backstory to the three interspersed here and there, but you don't get a whole lot. No, um, Lebowski, you don't get a whole lot other than you know Walter was in Vietnam, and you know that uh, the dude was a uh, was uh, involved in student mo- student yeah. movements. He spent most of his time in college, occupying various administration buildings, smoking and a lot of tie stick. Helped write the Port Huron statement. Yeah, so you get little bits and pieces, but you don't really get a whole lot. You get just enough to where you you know the character enough for the story to work. Exactly. And I don't think you really need to know much about these characters for the story to work. Not only that, but I, I, I could imagine the Coens being the economical writers they were and uh, trying to display their strengths as much as possible in their first movie to make it the best movie they could and experiences they were at the time. I, I wonder if, if they decided to forego character development or uh, I wonder what happened to Opal. action. If what? I wonder what happened to Opal. Oh, the dog? Yeah. What happened to Opal? I would imagine that Abby got her in the end. Maybe. But how long has Opal been in the house with no one there? In fact, well, that's the thing. Uh, Didn't she move out and Opal was there? Like, okay, we last saw Opal in Ray's house. No, we last see Opal in Nick Tortelli's car. Okay. Because when he shows up, drags her outside, she breaks his finger, kicks him in the balls. He throws up. We hear Barry Sonnenfeld throw up instead. Ah. Um, and he's even credited as, um, as his vomit sound or stand in or whatever. Vomit because, chimp. Yeah. He, he's a sympathetic vomiter. So when he had to, to vomit, even the fake vomiting was making him throw up. So yeah. one of the Cohen's said, just mic him up instead, because at least he's doing it for real. So we can get the real sound. Yeah. Keep puking, Barry. Keep puking. Yeah. Said, that's I good. think he that's said he's good he, stuff. I think he said on making this movie, he threw up like 18 times just from yeah. what they were doing. We need more, Barry. Now smell it so you can puke more. Um, but yeah, so that happens. He gets into his car. Opal comes running out. He floors it. And then that not John Ritter says, like to have seen his face when he found the dead end. Yeah. Which and he, people- had, You hear him uh, screeching his tires and turning around. Yeah. And people apparently know where he lives. It's not like that's the only time anyone's been there or any time yeah. or the only time anyone shows up at his house throughout the movie. And yet it's not the only time we hear people- flooring it to take off from his place and then finding out shit this is a dead end and having to turn around yes maurice does it later too i think yeah bartender guy that is embarrassed about preaching about cigarettes while he lights one and there's a lot of moving <laughs> ceiling fans on Hot <laughs> Texas that looked like it threw you off a little no i don't remember this name but also I, I wonder if this was a reference to some sort of film noir film that i i can't that whose name i can't recall at the moment but i got the feeling that i don't know maybe it was were there ceiling fans and out of the past that uh like slow moving ceiling fans on hot texas nights or or something like that i i get i get the feeling that was a that was a clear film reference that if i were a a, a I don't know if it would be a clear film reference to a specific film because ceiling fans, especially in any movies that take place in Texas, ceiling fans are a common thing. It's like, okay, I'm watching a slasher movie. That means the the one that shows her tits first is she's going to die. The one that trips while running away, okay, they're going to die. Things we know, okay, it's a movie in Texas. We're going to have some kind of a shot of ceiling fans. I did not know that because at one point we, we get a montage of, uh, the three main characters in the movie, uh, all laying down, staring at ceiling fans. Well, 
I think Marty's looking. I, I think I Marty's think. looking. Marty has a ceiling fan in his office, and he's rarely seen outside of his office. He's looking at the ceiling fan. Not John Ritter is looking at shadows of the trees because the man refuses to close his blinds. Yeah, that's uh, that's and a, blue that eyes. I don't know. Trip. I think she might have been looking at a fan, but her face was lit different. But I I really like the way they did that editing for that montage too. Yeah, and with the way the music was person. and everything. I really liked the way they did that scene. Oh, and did you know that um, did you know that the soundtrack incorporated themes from the one of the oldest pieces of music in the world? No, I did not. I know yes, I, I like this soundtrack much better. Well, I think this soundtrack fit much better than Miller's Crossing. Yeah. Um, I found the music for Miller's Crossing to be a bit too maudlin. Yeah. Miller's Crossing, and I believe I said it before, Miller's Crossing, the music, it was beautiful music. I loved the music, but there was times when it, the music was just a little too slow for the scene and it just seemed out of place. But it could have been that knowing what that tune was and knowing what it was about could have made it more appropriate. But Maybe. without having that knowledge, just hearing the music, it's like, okay, I, yeah, it's beautiful music but it just doesn't seem to fit the action that's going on. Whereas I this like one, the music, when it was slow, it, it felt right. When it was faster, it felt right. The different changes, everything felt right with the music on this one. I know that um, I, I, I get the feeling right now, as we talk about this, where we criticize the Carter Burwell's choices as a score in Miller's Crossing, there's probably a super Cohen fan out there who's like, you guys are idiots. Oh, you I'm guys sure are there is. Idiots. And like I said, the music was wonderful. And it was, that's why I was saying when, how I change it. I'm, I don't want to say I didn't like the music in that because I did like the music. I just thought the slower music on some of the scenes felt weird. But without having the context of knowing what that music actually was, that could be the reason why. Because sometimes the, the tune could sound one way, but if you know what it is, it could have some dark hidden thing that knowing that tune and what it actually means attached to the scene, okay, now it has a different meaning. And I don't have that knowledge. I'm just a schlub watching a movie. Well, there is an ancient uh, song performed in Bali by a two choruses called the Balinese monkey dance. And it involves uh, men shouting one word back at each other. Like that. And uh, they, one, one side of the one chorus sings that as furiously as they can at, at the other side. And the other side answers with the same word. And they just scream like that at each other. And uh, apparently Carter Burwell took inspiration from that and incorporated it into part of the soundtrack for this movie. Oh, I was going to say, what the hell does that have to do with anything? But okay, you've, you brought it around. A, I was, I was the lost pieces, there for a minute. The oldest pieces of music in the world is Kachak. Okay. It was also incorporated into a uh, Mr. Bungle song called uh, Goodbye Sober Day. If you ever want to... Uh, experience uh, a, a, a mr bungle song what the hell's that it's a band called mr bungle oh it's you know who mike Patton from faith no more is i know faith no more okay well the lead singer of faith no more has a is a guy named mike Patton. okay and he has another band called mr bungle oh and they're far yeah, out if you say so i have no idea i they're didn't like out. faith no more you should so you should I, check I out mr bungle money. while you're limber sometime i i've been finding kaiju movies it, when in that state of mind have been very interesting I can imagine. I, anyway, do you know how they made the incinerator look so big? By having little people uh, throw things into it? Yep. This, probably the incinerator, incinerator they had was uh, kind of a small dumpster size, or dumpster style, not size, a small dumpster style incinerator. But to make it look bigger, they had to get short people to stand in front of it. Movie magic. 
What do you think were the horror elements in the movie? I I, I thought there was uh, the the horror POV shots from of the detective stalking around the outside of Ray's house or uh, things like that. I think that was you could say that you could trace that in a direct line back to Halloween and Black Christmas as being a, a cinematic technique to induce fear. Well, define horror element. I think the POV shot because realistically her waking up in a panic thinking that she hears him in the house after he's already broke in there's a horror element that, it's that just a different scary. kind of horror are you thinking horror like a standard horror movie thing like that's what i mean define horror element well that's the thing oh, here we could get into thriller versus horror and what's the difference between a thriller movie versus a horror movie and that that's something that we talked about before when i when i was talking about psycho and to me psycho is it's not a horror it's a thriller but yet but it has horrifying elements it, it is a horror movie. Like Silence of the Lambs is a thriller, not a horror, yet it's still a horror movie. I think I think thriller and horror merge and, and they overlap uh, a good deal. Yeah. And, a simple fact. And it's it's a different type of horror. It, it, there's, it's more grounded. Yeah. It, and to me, it's something that has more of a mental aspect rather than just the visceral, in-your-face, blood-and-guts, knife flying at you whatever it's a more cerebral approach yeah and like this definitely i could see a lot of horror elements in this same way as silence of lambs psycho fatal attraction hand that rocks a cradle hate fear yeah they, these are all movies that definitely have a lot of horror elements but they're more it's i i personally classify them more as thrillers because it, it's for me it's a way of keeping the just keeping them separated in my head about like what what is more of a plausible real world something this could happen versus yeah jason's not versus keep freddy krueger walking down an alley with long arms yeah or versus a, a slasher killer like going on a rampage in a camp well no you'd have to because sleepaway camp i could see that you could see that happening somebody snapping and killing a bunch of people yeah well yeah in our modern times somebody snapping and killing a bunch of people is sadly in the news pretty often yeah so i mean i could see how something like that but it's when it turns into okay well yeah we we've put an axe through them we've put a machete through them we've put four hundred thousand rounds through them we've blown them up we've done this and he keeps coming back that's a horror that's not thriller you're not you're not dealing with shit that could happen like the first like friday to, um, the 13th would be a thriller i like to think of the one of the key differences for me between hiller of them thriller and horror is um just to use nightmare on elm street as an example um you you could have had nancy her plan was to pull freddy out of the dream world right and he'd be mortal in the dream world yes okay so why didn't she just keep a gun by the side of her bed for when she woke up did she have one that's not the point the point well, i'm trying to yeah, make that is, is that's the point if she didn't have one that's why she didn't have one by the bed not, no my point is is that in thrillers characters have guns in horror movies they don't it's very rare that you see uh, uh you, it's very rare that you see the victims go into the police and getting help or uh being armed and being able to defend themselves adequately from their attackers whereas in a thriller it, you might have a scene where they're at a gun range 
learning to uh, shoot from a private detective or something I'm trying like to that. remember the guns in Hand That Rocks a Cradle. A thriller. Yeah. And you said in the thrillers they had guns. I'm trying to remember the guns in that movie. I don't remember them. Well, I, I, mean, I know. It's not a hard and fast like rule that's true Psycho, of Psycho, the detective, I believe, had one. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember, well, obviously the cop that pulled her over in the beginning had one, but I don't remember any guns anywhere else and anywhere that would be out of place or like, yeah, the, the detective had might have had one. The cop is going to have one because he's a cop, but they're not characters that really make it. Well, the cop's not a character that really makes a difference. So it's not like that gun would be in play anywhere. A lot of times too, I think with horror movies, like uh, there's, if, if you're watching a horror movie in a theater, you might have a, a, an idiot somewhere in the back of the, somewhere in the crowd who's going to shout, this movie's stupid. If that guy came at me, I'd just shoot him and be like, you can have that in a horror. You can have that in a thriller. Have yeah. that in comedies. You can have that in comedies, yes. But no, uh, I, I like I in in some horror movies. Like I, I would say, yeah, go ahead, shoot at Pinhead, see what happens. Right? You think Pinhead's going to care that you shoot him? Probably not. No, he's He'll not. laugh at it. He, uh, I, I think he was shot in Hellraiser three, and he spit out the bullets. And uh, then in Hellraiser four, he was zapped with a laser gun, and it just uh, bounced off of him. Anyway, but back to the topic. Uh, Another thing that struck me is like uh, maybe a reference to Texas Chainsaw Massacre was this uh, was remember when Ray's driving down the road and you hear this preacher on the radio talking about uh, astrology and like planets lining up. Yep. Okay. Well, that and was then he just got tired that, of it and changed the station. You got tired of it and he changed the station. But uh, that that kind of just struck me as kind of like maybe a reference to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where uh, all the all four well, all five of the of the the five youths who encountered a nightmare that day. We're driving down uh, we're driving down the road in their in their VW minibus, and uh, one of them was reading out of an astrology book and saying how or it uh, could be something that's kind of a common late night radio thing in Texas. Or yeah, I believe they're. I believe in the uh, credits they even credit the real reverend. Uh, it was it was like a real radio personality in Texas, I think, who Most they likely. who who put in the who actually got a credit in the film. They took it's, inspiration it's for this movie from all over the place, from The Shining, from from a bunch of different things. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's some kind of nod somewhere to Chainsaw Massacre, but it wouldn't surprise me if there's not i mean it's so it, many it's, things yeah, it's iffy or influence so many things had influence on this movie that it would surprise me if they could remember all the different influences yes and i, I think that's one of the things that uh hardcore cinephiles love about cohen films is uh, that they're able to just watch them and just you know tick off the references like ah that's a shot from out of the past that's uh that's from maltese falcon that's from citizen kane well, like I that. think one of the things that people find enjoyable about watching multiple Cohen movies is connecting the movies in the Cohen universe, because there's so many things that this talks about something in this movie and that talks about something in this movie. Um, I know at one point there's reference to, um, in a newspaper, there's an, a reference to people dying in a hotel fire, which happens in another movie. And there's Barton like Fink. the Barton Ur arms in Miller's Crossing. There's so many things that connect their different movies together that yeah, that kind of becomes kind of great a game mosaic. in itself. But how do you connect it to, let's say, Fifth Element? How do you connect this to Fifth Element? Okay. Or should we save that for another time? Um, well, my thought are uh, my thought are that was brilliant. I, I, I've I been have, I I cannot speak ill of somebody who stumbles over their own words. I do it <laughs> so much myself that it would be ridiculous. Um, no. Anyway, uh, so I have made it a point 
to, I've made it a point to talk about how I can connect every movie from Strangers on a Train all the way through to this, our 10th movie, Blood Simple. And should we save that for its um, own episode, you think? Or should we, should you give us the whole reveal now? I think we've come up with, with some plans for future stuff from the sounds of it. That's going to, I think, add quite a bit to, to our show. Mm-hmm. I think if we keep this uh, connection thing to its own little thing, what what we'll do is we'll have um, on our next episode will be this, and we'll just we'll, we'll have a nice little wrap up of our ten movies so far, what we think of everything, and give you an idea of some of the ideas we have for what's coming up. It sounds like a plan. And what the fuck is it with his with the detectives Russia talk? Oh, in the very beginning when he's talking about how Russia I guess over in Russia they got a system where everyone pulls for everybody, but I don't know. I just know about Texas. Yeah, is is, is that just him like I, I don't, don't know. know what what that's referring to, what what it's supposed to mean. I 1984 Cold War Reagan. I, I doubt. I doubt. If you want to get political or philosophical about it, you could. I could imagine it's just him ruminating about how you know the world might be different in some other places, but here it's every man for himself. And uh, I mean, that's kind of how it sounds. It's just like, yeah, they talk about that, but I just know what we deal with here. And here, this is what it is. Doesn't he mention Russia again to somebody though? I don't know. I think he does. It's possible. Like I said, I've seen this movie a lot lately. Hmm. But this isn't one like some of the others that I really remember everybody's dialogue as much as some of the others. Hmm. Because there's so much going on and so little said that I'm more like, I just kind of sit there and let the story unfold for me. Hmm. It's not like some of the movies like with... Um, Miller's Crossing, the dialogue was considerably more than what's in this. Indeed. And it was entertaining to listen to. Big Lebowski, yeah. the dialogue is entertaining. Um, yeah, and Big Lebowski, especially when Steve Buscemi's on screen, however briefly. Yeah. And, well, with him in Fargo, and he pretty much never shuts up. Yeah. And whereas him his, in Miller's Crossing. Peter never shut, never says a word. And in Miller's Crossing, he's only in it for one scene, which basically amounts to nothing more than a cameo. It's the first movie he's done with the Coens. And the, the reason he got the part was he was the only one that could say the lines that fast. It was, a, it was the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Yeah. Um, and they didn't realize it until afterwards that somebody brought it up to him that, you know, you guys keep killing him. And every <laughs> time you kill him, the body gets smaller. What would you change about the movie? I don't know. Um, I think it's one of those movies where you can tell it's a low budget, but it doesn't hurt the movie. It's, I think the low budget helps it. Yeah. It, it gives uh, it, it more of a raw everyday quality. feel. Yeah. I mean, Ray's place looks like a place, like a, like, like a real place someone would live in. With Except for shut the fucking blinds people. Yeah. That's, that's ridiculous. When, when you, when you get a new place and you got giant windows, put curtains up or something. This movie is a great example of why you, you close your curtains. It, that that could have solved some issues. Yeah. I can't think of much I would change about the movie uh, either. I mean, maybe explain what the hell Abby thinks anal means. Well, if anyone I, listens to comments about this, I'm sure they can explain it to me. I've heard, I have heard of anal retentiveness. Yeah. And it's, I'm it's pretty just, sure she, to me being she kind of realized is, that. I mean, to me being anal is such a benign thing that Abby revealing it like some dark secret was kind of bonkers to me. Like I, mean, I said, I think it's just more at that period of time being in the middle of nowhere and that kind of a character, it just seemed weird. 
And it could have been that he, that they found it weird because it was something that he admitted to. Like it was, okay, that guy never will say that there's, like, he's got a problem. I think in 1984, uh, it, it was shot in 1982. It was completed in 1983. It was released in 1984. So I, I, I think, uh, Freudian pop psychology still had a pretty big hold on the public imagination. So I, I guess maybe just anal retentiveness was, uh, is what they called OCD back then or something. Yeah. And, and like I said, it could just be just the location they were in the time period and the character just that seems like, wow, I can't believe that he's that way. You wouldn't, you'd never think it by watching him or listening to him or whatever. Or it could be, you would never think that he would admit to it because of his ego or something. Who knows? But yeah, what would I change? I, I would have liked to see John Ritter in that role. Not that I would ch necessarily change it because I think he did fine. It's just, there's so many scenes when I see him and I think he kind of looks like John Ritter and it makes me want to see John Ritter do that role just to see if it could have been as good. I think uh, I think the character of Ray actually kind of looked more like a kind of like a bargain basement Clint Eastwood in a lot of way. I think his haircut and his facial expressions were very Clint Eastwood inspired. From uh, what I remember, the movie he he I mean maybe if they just give him a if they just had him squint a little more and give him more of a wrinkly forehead, he w it would have been like Clint Eastwood Jr. I don't know. Like I said, there's a lot of shots when he looked a lot like John Ritter or had a, had a resemblance to him. Maybe a mix of John Ritter and Lance Henriksen. That's that's not even a picture I want. No, okay. Yeah, I, but, I don't uh, want the, that mental picture. The train is coming to a stop, though, and it's time to say goodbye here in the movie car. We hope everyone out there in uh, podcast land was able to get a little bit of new appreciation for the movie we talked about just now. That was a question I had, too. Oh, what was that? Why is it for the movie we talked about just now instead of just for and then saying the movie? That's a good idea. I, I, <laughs> that's I, been bugging me it's like why why did you choose that and it was all it's almost like you know how like if you do like a form letter or something and it's printed out there's always the spaces where like the parentheses and it says your name or business and you're supposed to fill in those it was almost like you created that and you left that for yourself to know that's where i put in the movie name and you just keep forgetting to put in the movie name and reading it as the movie we just talked about we hope everyone out there in podcast land was able to, to get a little bit of a pr new appreciation for Blood Simple. Great movie. Which is the movie we we covered just now. Anyway, thanks to everyone who listened and downloaded. We love you, all of you. Yeah, don't and if forget, we had any like, subscribe, share, comment, heart, star. Tell your friends. Yeah, tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Comment, criticize. Tell your parents. Tell your siblings. Tell your children. Well, maybe not tell, well, depending on how old your children are. We want you to act <laughs> out there, our listeners, we want you to act like we're the top of the pyramid and each of you has to find two people that, uh, if each of you find two people and, and they each of those find, find two, two people, people. <laughs> then no. Well, I, I want, I do want to say too, um, I have been going back and redoing the audio on some of the past episodes because it was brought to my attention that some of them were a bit on the quiet side during editing. They sounded much louder, um, but I'm going back and redoing that in the process some of the pops and times we might bump the mic or whatever do become more apparent but to go back and re-edit everything to do to take to take that out it's a bit much so you'll have better audio you'll be able to hear us better um but you'll hear that as well i am however going to be doing longer edits because for our regular sunday releases i try and keep it to an hour and a half ish maximum
minimum, but we record sometimes for like four hours for just a single movie. So I'll be doing longer edits of that, that we'll be setting up a Patreon that you can go on and hear the longer edits. You'll be able to vote on what movies we talk about. Give us your ideas. Um, and we love, we will watch anything for the most part. Um, to so, an extent. To an extent. We did a whole episode about that. I think it was episode three. Uh, well, it was more of a mini episode. But, uh, you know, if, if there's a movie that you really think uh, needs more attention, we'd love to hear about it. If there's a movie out there that you think is one of the great hidden gems of its time, we we live for that shit. So just really tell us about it yeah like i i've not i've not been shy about how i watch a lot of youtube i watch a lot of youtube reaction channels and there's some of these movies that when i see somebody doing a reaction for them i get excited because so many people just completely pass them up like there's not a whole lot of reactions for night of the demons i don't think i've seen a single reaction for may there's some movies that it's like why don't people react to this and i just Sadly, actually saw, saw one a few days ago that I, I i got really excited for because a reaction channel was finally doing a reaction for the movie hatchet Oh, awesome. So yeah, these are, these are some things that let us know because as it is now, we're, we're kind of just grabbing stuff off the shelf. Um, mm. I think one of the things we, we might do is like, we might say, for example, next month, we might only pick movies from Netflix. So that way, any movie that we're talking about, you can go on and watch it before the show, after the show, but it's not something that you'll have to go and spend a bunch. All you need is your Netflix subscription. Or a library card. I have uh, found that my local library has a pretty damn good selection of uh, physical media films uh, that really I, I have nothing to complain about. And uh, modern libraries, they are not like uh, they used to be back in the 80s, uh, the 90s. If you want a, if you want a movie, all you need is a card and they give you the movie. You For don't pay For those of thing. you lucky enough to still have libraries around you. Yes, unfortunately. Uh, um, uh, not everyone gets equal And there's even a lot of movies free on YouTube. So and, that's uh, an option. And there's uh and there are other streaming options besides Netflix and Prime. There's a wonderful uh there's a wonderful streaming channels like Plex, Tubi, and Pluto that have uh, great selections of movies, older movies, newer movies, and, uh, and you know, we really just... we do prefer physical media, but we realize that financially that's not always an option, and even streaming services aren't necessarily always an option. So we want to make sure that we're not always just going to be talking about things that if you want to see it, you got to spend a bunch of money. Yeah. Uh, we want everybody to, to be able to enjoy too. Um, we're not limiting ourselves to only horror sci-fi. We just tend to favor that, favor those genres. We haven't really covered a lot of horror movies so far. You know, Night of the Demons and Sleepaway Camp, I think. It's been, it's been a weird selection of movies. Mm -hmm. But if we really want to start getting into that, then we're going to get into some of these connections, which we're saving for the next episode. But be good to each other out there, everybody. Uh, we're all stuck together in this crazy train and we're all we have in here. So bye for now, folks, and we'll see you next time, hopefully. See you next time. Mm -hmm.